DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller Subaru. It's time now to talk college football with Dylan Colley, the former BYU wide receiver. He joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Dylan, good morning. How are we doing, gentlemen? All, all things considered, I think we're doing pretty well. But we're yeah. a little, uh, we're a little uh, discombobulated. This isn't the right month to have a major golf championship and the NBA playoffs. This is the month for college right. football. And yet... I've watched more golf than I have college football because you got some leagues haven't announced they're starting yet. Some have announced but haven't started. And even the SEC hasn't kicked off again. There hasn't been a single SEC game yet, right? And BYU played one game and now hasn't played for weeks, and nobody else in the state's playing yet, although that may be changing for a couple schools here pretty quick. So are you in college football mode, or are you as discombobulated as us? I think I think everyone is a bit uh, discombobulated, but just trying to take the uh, the positives as they come. So, you know, obviously there is a lot going on. Um, if I were to rank it in in order of priority, and you know, if you hit recall on my uh, my TV changer, right, it's going to be split between the the college football and then uh, the golf, and then third third the basketball. But you know. It is a bit overwhelming, but uh, I think for now we can kind of enjoy it, right? Keeps things going. <clears throat> it makes things interesting for, for uh, a weird year. So, Dylan, put yourself in the position of still being on BYU's football team, knowing that they gained a lot of experience over the last couple of years, and so many of these kids were coming back, led by Zach Wilson, a third-year quarterback. Uh, you know, you talk about the positive. The positive is if they, got, they do have games – but the negative is that he didn't have that schedule, and that schedule would have been awesome. It really would have been a chance to prove yourselves against some real big-time competition with, I think, seven Power Fives, and then the non-conference you had Houston and or uh, San Diego State, Boise, Utah State, I mean. And those are all pretty good teams in the Mountain West or have been over the years, the last few years. You find yourself having a sense of disappointment knowing that BYU is projected to be pretty good this year to not be able to prove themselves against that quality competition? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's obviously extremely difficult, especially for those older guys, those upperclassmen that, you know, were kind of, to, you know, I guess banking on this year, right? As as some true proving ground to see what am I going to be able to provide uh, agents, head coaches, and scouts for the next level, right? And so it's very difficult. Um, you know, let's say you do have guys, right, who are maybe toting the line of getting drafted or being a priority free agent. Is what they were about to do was you know, accelerate themselves into a position to, to make a lot of money and give themselves a much better shot in the NFL. Whereas now, right, yes, you're able to see it because it's still Division One football across the board, but, you know, understanding that, hey, there is a much weaker schedule um, and it's not going to be as, as effective, you know, maybe as, as what those, especially those seven power five games are. I mean, that, that schedule is probably going to be the best BYU schedule uh, and, you know, as long as I can remember, right? Like, yeah. the, between the stadiums that they were going to play at, the teams that they were going to play against, the situations, the back-to-back power fives, right? 
going back and forth, having to travel. I mean, talk about a test of really how good you are. Um, that that was going to be unbelievable. Dylan Colley, former BYU wide receiver, joined us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We have seen the Navy game, and it was, at least in my mind, shockingly easy for BYU. And the offensive line just blowing Navy out. How much of that is BYU's got a bunch of NFL guys on the line, and so that's what they're going to do, game in and game out? And how much of that was Navy wasn't hitting, and maybe they're down a little bit? How, yeah. What was your read on that game? Uh, I think I think about 50-50. Right. Uh, I had the chance to play with a majority of that offensive line, um, you know, and when it was a young offensive line two years ago. That offensive line is absolutely unbelievable, right? And, and Coach Mateos has done a phenomenal job, and obviously you've got Coach Grimes, who is kind of the O-line connoisseur. Um, but I, I, you, can't, you can't shy away from the fact that if you truly were to go without hitting or without any contact, um, trying to play a Division One football game, right, is next to impossible. I think there are a lot of, you know, I think the the FCS schools, the D one AA schools, would have probably put it to Navy. Um, so to be able to take that game and say, hey, let's not, you know, kind of uh, let's not ride that game as who we are as a team, um, because it was awful. That was some of the most. That was some of the worst football. <laughs> Um, unfortunately, right, because Navy is such a respectable program, and uh, obviously they were looking to other priorities, which is fine and understandable. But, um, you know, for us to sit here and go, that, that game was a defining moment for BYU, uh, that would be embarrassing. Um, now, I do think that this week is going to be a much different story, uh, and we will see an opportunity for them to really, you know, kind of solidify themselves and show – how unbelievable they are against a kind of tested and tried uh, opponent. So you bring up the fact of Navy, uh, you know, with the no hitting, and that was the storyline. Uh, in your opinion, Dylan, how, going forward, you know, the Pac-12 and Mountain West looking like they're going to get back on the field here at some point. How much time would you think that you would need as a player to get yourself, let's say, practice started whenever tomorrow, and you yeah. have the first game whenever that might be? How much time do you think you would need to get yourself in playing shape, and how much live scrimmaging do you think needs to be done? I mean, I think I think you'd need two weeks. Uh, I think you'd need two weeks and at least a scrimmage, right, each of those weeks, much very similar to, to fall camp. Um, when I was playing at Hawaii, we played a game. We, we weren't able to start fall camp until the first week of August, but we're, we were playing in Australia um, the last week of August. And so between the basically the week of travel, right, we only had two weeks to get ready. Um, and, you know, physically, right, getting into the swing of things uh, and being ready to actually take a hit, and tackle, right? I mean, I'm not saying you need a month and a half, but I think you need at least two weeks to really be able to get back into mentally, right, getting ready to throw your body into other people and do it effectively. So we just saw in the NFL just a ton of ACL injuries here in week two. Uh, Nick Bosa, Solomon Thomas, Marquise Blair, Cortland uh, Sutton, uh, Saquon Barkley. I mean, it's a whole list. How much of this is just freaky, and how much are these guys' bodies 
uh, rebelling because they didn't kind of ease into it with preseason games. Because when I hear you say two weeks, it makes me think, well, the, these LCLs, that was just kind of a fluky week in the NFL. Right, right. And I, I think there's a much, obviously, right, there is, there is the freak side of it. But you look at what were they doing because as much as we all want to think that the, the NFL is pristine and, right, it is the highest level of football, I mean, they're probably, you know, I would put a lot of the Division One college strength and head, strength head, uh, strength and conditioning coaches, right, ahead of what is actually available in the NFL. And so as these guys are spending more time with their strength and conditioning coaches, knowing that there is no preseason, how much are they doing and what sort of workouts are they doing during this time, right? While they're not playing games, they're probably loading it up a little bit more. They're probably doing, you know, uh, not as much, you know, they're probably saying, hey, let's save the body. Let's just lift a little bit. Let's not put too much stress on the lateral, everything like that. And so, yes, I do think that, you know, these guys aren't taking their – 15 to 20 plays in the preseason, but you also have to look at what was the training, you know, what was some of the processes that they went through, how much more, right, were they loading up until fall camp knowing there were no games to really physically get ready for, that they had an extra month to kind of hold off. So you look at guys like Saquon who, you know, I'm going to go with more of like a freak accident there or just because his legs are so dang big. Right, you're gonna you you're, you are a test of time there, right? His body fat might be five or six percent, which is actually going to cause more strain. So if you don't have that full time, you know that one is a little bit more freakish. But all these other guys is just you have to look at what they're doing on the outside uh, and what their training regimens are and everything like that because they probably did change. I'm glad you brought up that uh, the the pro aspect of it as far as. Proving yourself because I've been saying that, and I brought up two examples the last couple of years for Utah. At this time, going into training camp, uh, the last couple of years, uh, Barton, the linebacker, and Burgess, the defensive back, I don't think they were on NFL radar screens, but yet they had phenomenal senior seasons and got themselves to be second day draft choices, and both of them are making money. It seems like, you know, with collegiate football and the student athlete, we don't really want to talk about that because it seems like it's dirty. But the reality is that's what it's for a lot of kids. That's the goal, right, is to get to the NFL, Mm -hmm. prove yourself. So why not talk about it? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And I think if you're talking to a freshman that, is if you're talking to an incoming freshman and their goal isn't to play in the NFL on, you know, if a legit football player comes in as a scholarship athlete and their goal isn't to play in the NFL, I mean, uh, I don't want to call it a problem. Right. (laughs) But, but there are some red flags in knowing, okay, what am I going to get out of this athlete for the next four years? If his goals stop it, what he's just accomplished, right? Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, you look at a guy like Cody Barton. Right? I've I worked out with uh, with Cody at Performance One for a while, and you talk about a guy who is very like that dude walks around with a chip on his shoulder, right? He's all things football. 
Uh, he's got a couple screws loose, and I, that's what makes him a, <laughs> a viable option as an NFL linebacker, right? Like, that's not a normal thing to be, uh, to be able to go out there every single day and knock head with, right, some of the most athletic and largest human beings uh, on the offensive side of the ball and then just go run around and throw your body into people. I mean, that, that takes a different breed. And so if someone comes in and says, hey, I don't even want to play in the NFL, then from a football aspect, right, you might need to be worried. Uh, but, you know, a lot of these guys come in and that's their focus and that's what you want to be and that's what you want to do. And so you're going to do everything. Every single day is going to be based on the big picture. How are you going to win football games? How are you going to win football games? And then how are you going to set yourself up to, to play in the NFL? Dylan Cauley joining us, former BYU wide receiver. Okay, so 2020 is an odd year, and we're seeing odd stuff, and we all ex- expect it. But we also expect kind of a new normal going forward as we get out of this, whenever that is. And from a sports mm-hmm. perspective, one thing that has PK and I scratch in our heads, but I'm leaning towards we're going to see some of this on a regular basis, not a lot of it. But guys opting out of a year of football because they know they're a high draft pick and they don't want to risk yep. the injury, even with insurance. Now, I get, you know, yep. hey, it's an eight or 10 game season this year and guys are doing it, but you're agreeing that guys are going to opt out of 12 game seasons in 2024? I, uh, yeah, unfortunately, right? <laughs> there's, there's nothing I hate more, but. Like it's it's now inevitable, especially as the things come out with right. You look at the the likeness and you know the name the money that likeness, can come yeah. from yeah the name image likeness right. You look at the money that's going to be able to come from that. It's like by the time you're a junior, if you're a top prospect, if you're a Trevor Lawrence and you come in and you make enough money in the first three years, right? Yeah, opt out, still get your degree, and then go play in the NFL if that's the way, you know, some people want to do it. I like that concept, Dylan, of a few, a couple of screws loose when you used Cody, and I, he'll probably take that as a compliment mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, Absolutely. How much, how much of that, based on your experience, is necessary to be wired, as you say, to have a couple of screws loose in order to get yourself in the NFL? Uh, I mean, to, to play on the defensive side of the ball, right? I wouldn't. It's it's more like, you know, eighty to eighty-five percent, right? To have the right screws loose. Now, if we're yeah. just talking about being a little odd, right? Then, <laughs> then that doesn't help very much. But but when we're talking about having the right screws, it's like eighty to eighty-five percent of your capability of making it to the NFL on the defensive side of the ball, right? Especially in that middle-of-the-field front seven. When you look at a strong safety, you look at linebackers, you look at the interior linemen. Now, on the offensive side of the ball, right, uh, I don't think it's near as important. I think having an understanding of the game, right, but you don't need that kind of sideways thought process on, on offense. And if you look at real-deal football players these days, especially with the way – the attitude of social media and, and all of these things that are truly affecting, you know, uh, truly affecting kind of the whole, right. The whole picture of football, 
when you have a guy who is a ball of energy, who can fly around the field, who makes plays at all costs, right, who's going to go from sideline to sideline uh, in pursuit, and, and his entire goal, right, is to make someone feel them as they, as they tackle them, you know, there isn't uh, – I don't think that there's a trait more, you know, that can be more productive, that is more effective than than that on the defensive side of the ball. Do I think it's as, you know, needed on offense? No, but that's because we're much, much softer. <laughs> I really like that concept of having the right screws loose. It can't be any screw. You know, right. some screws are critical. <laughs> But the right Absolutely. screw needs to be loose. I, I like the way you painted that picture. Uh, so, Dylan, as a wide receiver, let's get to the one position on offense that's a little bit of a wild card, and that would be wide receiver. I mean, right now, probably Odell Beckham Jr. is who most people would say, oh, really talented, but really a disruptive diva. Just so disruptive. But he's not a one-off. Let's not put this all on Odell, right? Chad Johnson changes right. his name to Chad Ochocinco. Terrell Owens was doing crunches in the driveway at some pseudo-press conference. And Randy Moss is just like, I mean, I can't be bothered to go hard every play. Please, people. Absolutely. I'm me. And I'm probably leaving somebody out who'd be offended. But that's a nice list of diva wide receivers. What is it? about good wide receivers that makes them so difficult? <laughs> that, is a, that, that is a phenomenal question and a phenomenal concept. I still don't think that as a whole we share the same diva mindset as a defensive back. Um. Because the defensive back's mindset is even more of a problem, right? Just just so we can clear that air as I begin to talk about the wide receivers. As a wide receiver, and you look at those guys specifically, right? And even more so, the guys like Throne, the guys like Chad Johnson, the guys like Randy Moss. Odell Beckham, Odell Beckham is a freak, right? Odell is one of the most athletic, freakish human beings imaginable right you look at the fact that he's 5'11 the guy runs a 4'3 he wears a 3x glove size a normal receiver i've never met a receiver that wears a 3x i've met you know an xl right you've got guys who have freakishly large hands this dude absolutely swallows the ball right so his makeup is freakish and he's an extremely complete receiver these guys who are older, they play more of a chip on their shoulder because they didn't have all of those tangibles, right? They didn't have this, you know, they, they really worked a lot more than just, hey, I'm a freak, you know. Uh, they were also more, a lot more physical, right? And so I think when you look at, hey, if you can go up every single week against the Ed Reeds, against the Sean Taylors, um, against the Troy Polamalu, do I think Odell could go in and play against those guys? Absolutely not. No chance. <laughs> I, I don't think uh, you know those types of receivers today who are calling for attention would be able to last against the defenses of you know uh, 15 years ago. Um, but I think that just stems from this attitude that receivers do think that they are game changers, 
right? And there's some that are, but there are some divas that aren't, and they should probably keep their mouth shut and, you know, uh, kind of just be a part of the team and be a part of the game. But I just don't think that you're going to find that because of the history of the receiver and what it's meant to be a receiver, the big plays that are relied on for receivers. Uh, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of expectation. So when you achieve and you kind of complete that expectation, right, I mean, in the minor receiver, you kind of deserve to be that way. He's Dylan Colley. He's got opinions on everything. Dylan, we loved having you on. <laughs> Those are some solid. That, that right screws loose is going to stay with me for a while. That was, that was really good. I might, I might just borrow it. I appreciate it. it. I'll hey, tr- by, by all means. I'll, I'll try to remember to give you credit, but, you know, 50-50 on that. We'll see how that plays out. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Hey, Dylan, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. No worries. Dylan Colley. Good work. Great All right. Week. Next time we want more stories about Hawaii and Australia, we got to delve into that. That was good. <laughs> Dylan Colley. Yeah, absolutely. Former BYU wide receiver. Joining us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right. The Pac-12 returning. The Mountain West returning. What's happening? When's it going to happen? Cam Miller is going to join us, college football analyst and writer for SB Nation. He's coming up next. Scotty G in an hour right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. I think if you'd listened to Hans long enough, you had hinted that there was a star player that had dealt with COVID over the summer, and Zach Wilson admitted that uh, he indeed contracted it a few months ago. Yeah, you know, it's hard. I think I got it from, we had a bunch of the football guys over, and we were just having a little gambling night, you know, having some fun, and, you know, somehow a bunch of us got it. And already people are wondering about what's going on at gambling night. Hey, look, it's Skittles, a little bit of poker. Everybody does it. Everybody does it. Calm down. Everybody's doing it. You get the orange Skittles, you get the green, yeah. the purple Skittles. Assigned dollar amounts to each. No money's exchanging hands. Oh, just COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Hanson Scotty. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time now to talk college football with Cam Meller, college football analyst and writer for SB Nation. Joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Cam, good morning. Good morning to you guys as well. So, Cam, does it feel like college football season has started, or does it feel like a string of week zeros, one after another, and it's not really college football, but you know it's going to be soon. So I would say weeks, I guess whatever we call them, week zero, one, and two felt that way. It felt like there was a trickle-down effect. And I think once we got the majority of the, those ACC goals back, it felt like one to me. At least I was busy enough on Saturday that it felt like a full season. But I think the real taste of this season, I mean, it's going to begin at, at Absolutely, when the SEC starts playing this weekend, too. I think that's when it'll really feel like, you know, week one, and we can start getting these, you know, actually having rankings and top 25 lists that aren't just sort of, you know, product of a few teams playing. And, you know, poor teams that are in the bottom of the 25, they're still top, almost the top half of where they would normally have been. So it's, it's certainly been a week zero feel uh, a lot longer than normal. So I think the Big Ten of the teams, uh, conferences that we're going to play, you know, they might have looked a little bit silly with the idea of 
well, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to play conference only, and then now we're going to do it. We're not going to revisit it, and then down the line we are, do revisit it, and they are going to play. And so they set themselves up to go forward, and I think that people can live with that. But what do you think is going on with the Pac-12? Because they follow the Big Ten in canceling, postponing, but now they're dragging their feet. So I'm not really sure what's going on with them and what's taking so long. Yeah, and I honestly don't think I know either, and I don't think anybody knows except maybe Larry Scott, and I don't know also if he necessarily knows what's going on in his own head. So uh, it's been, you know, for lack of a better term, a pretty bad show to watch unfold, and especially if you were playing second fiddle little brother to the Big Ten and sort of following their lead and then now not following their lead to hush to hurry back to a season and then you know not to mention the taking the bonuses and not and then furloughing employees it's just been truly sort of a miserable show to watch unfold and i just don't know what we're going to see happen here nothing would surprise me i mean we saw it in the big 10 where they said they were going to vote they didn't vote and then they voted in secrecy and then they a hot mic picked up on them coming back i we're supposed to have a vote on thursday for the pac-12 to return to play and they're blaming the fires, and they're blaming California and the Oregon as a state and whole. It's just been truly a mess, and I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised either way. But I don't think anybody truly knows what's going on. So, is there a chance with the Pac-12 brand just getting you know damaged, trampled on, torn apart? Is there any chance that a Pac-12 team, when they finally play, is so good that everybody forgets all about that and just sees really good football? I mean, Oregon and USC would be the first two teams you look at. But is anybody that good or no? I think they would have to truly leap off the page good. I think it would have to be one of those two teams with the national brand that everybody's accustomed to seeing or or wouldn't be surprised to see in the top ten and stay there. And I think they would have to then whoop up on the other opponent too. So if it's a USC, I think they'd have to put out 50 against an Oregon defense. Or Oregon would have to limit a, a USC offense to you know 100 passing yards or something like that. I think that... It's basically a tarnished reputation for this season going forward, and especially starting so late. You know, you might have a little bit of recency bias, but I think it's truly an uphill battle in a normal season. It's even more. It's a now a mountain climb for a Pac-12 school to see or even sniff the college football playoff conversation this season. So Larry Scott was on shaky ground. Do you think this pretty much does does him in? I would say so. I I think that there's no real redeeming qualities from how this whole situation was handled. And then especially the report about taking money and and then furloughing employees. I don't think that helps anyway. And and one report saying this morning, actually, I saw a break over social media that, you know, he basically knows he's on thin ice or that he's basically leaving after this year anyway. So he just essentially doesn't care. So I'll take that for, you know, with a grain of salt and see what actually happens here. But I do believe that this is probably, you know, this is the, the iceberg that's appearing in terms of his his reign as commissioner, I think that it, it's, it's he's on his way out, yes. So assuming the Pac-12 is the league that's left out, then they can give one bid to each of the other leagues, which uh, the other four Power Five leagues, uh, which seems like the easy automatic thing to do with no non-conference games to weigh, you know, well, this champion should be left out and this runner-up should be in. But it's college football, and the logical thing rarely happens. So are we going to have a free-for-all when we get to the playoff? I think in this, in, in any normal year, there's chaos. I think this year will ensue even more chaos or ten times chaos because you could have one of those schools 
you know, in the American Athletic Conference that's going to sit there and have 11 games under their belt and sit there at 11 and 0, maybe even 12 and 0 if they can get that many games on their schedule. A team like a UCF that just beat an ACC opponent too. I think that that's where we're going to see the chaos. I think we'll see, you know, the the common foes in there: the Ohio State, the Clemson, the Alabama. And then I think that's where the chaos will be. It's that fourth school, and I think in any year that we have now, it's it's finally that year for a group of five or even an independent to sort of make noise and cause that extra chaos by looking so good in their own conference and not having those non-conference games for these other schools on their radar or on their record that I think this is the year that chaos is maybe even times 100 compared to normal. How about the secondary bowl games? What do you think is going to happen to them? It's tough. I would assume that they're on a case-by-case basis. Uh, being a Floridian myself and knowing how sort of uh, blasé for they are with everything that's going on, I would assume that the bowl games that are happening in Florida will still go on. Um, you know, obviously the Orange Bowl is the big one, but those small ones, the Bad Boy Mowers, Gasparilla Bowl, I don't see like those type of things in, in the state of Florida or even in the south. Those games will probably still go on. It's just a matter of how they do it and how they do it safely. But I would assume... You know, the growing trend in college football was to, to see kids sit out those bowl games if it means nothing for them. I, I think we would see a lot more opt-outs or a lot more sit-outs in those bowl games if they do go on as scheduled. Do you think we're going to start seeing players opt-out of full seasons going forward, or is that just a one-off for this year, or is it a new trend? I, I, I'd hope it's just a one-off of this year, but I, you know, I, and I think that there's maybe, if you do see those situations, it would be a player... Uh, like a Derek Stingley from LSU, where everybody crowned him as the best cornerback prospect of his draft class after one freshman year, and you know he sort of had nothing left to prove after one season in college football. You know, maybe he's the type of player, but I think those are so far and few between for those players to sort of etch themselves uh, sort of as the best of their class after one or two seasons, even in college football, because so many things can happen. So I'm, I'm hopeful that it's just a this year type of thing, uh, and that we don't see that too often because you know it's just it's the best sport in my opinion, and I love seeing these kids succeed. We understand that you're pretty high on BYU quarterback Zach Wilson, correct? Yes, I am. Probably a little bit higher than even most, even in Provo, I would say. Explain why. So I went back and I watched every throw possible of the kid's career. I love Zach, and I just think that there are intangibles that you cannot coach. There is arm strength, there is football instinct. There is athleticism that is uncoachable, and so those coachable moments are sort of what people saw as the the scapegoat for some losses here. There were multiple interceptions last year. I do know that. I know he was battling the injuries, and you give the pass on that. But you know, I looked at those in, those interceptions he threw last year, and of the nine, there were seven of those that were not his fault. A couple of those were dropped. A couple of those, the receiver fell down. Another one was tipped at the line of scrimmage. Multiple moments of time that errors that he gets credit for in the box score that the general fan doesn't want to then say something else might have been at fault. I think there are moments in time where he has a certain Johnny Manziel to him, but he's also got you know incredible arm strength and great, great pocket presence that I think those coachable moments and those coachable interceptions and troubles that he's seen, if those are tidied up, this is a guy that's not only a great college quarterback, but also has a career in the pros too. Do you think BYU's offensive line is really that good and they got a bunch of pros in the O-line, or is that uh, more a Navy issue, the reason they ran over Navy the way they did? <laughs> it's, it's, it's super tough to say. Before the season, I would have said that they were very good and you probably have two or three pros on the offensive line. 
after the Navy game, I would have said everybody on the offense deserves to go pro. Uh, but after you know you figure out and, and, and hear what Navy did and didn't touch anybody in practice, it makes it a little bit less. You know, it doesn't make that win as as great as the box score probably says. But I do think that Brady Christensen has NFL tackle written all over him and Epi at center as well. And then you know, I liked what I saw from the rest of the guys but right now on my radar for the nfl it's definitely christensen as, as a day one or day two pick as well and then empty sort of as an early day three prospect i like them both on the pros cam we appreciate a few minutes this morning thanks for coming on and talking a little college football with us yeah my pleasure guys anytime i appreciate you having me cam miller you can check him out online sb nation writing college football and talking cougars and loving zach at quarterback and PK, he was sounded like everything he said. Now, I, you know, you got to do it at a higher level, but everything he said screams Russell Wilson. Oh, right? Pocket, pocket presence. Back. Pocket presence. Strong arm. Freakish athletic ability. The size. And that's, you know, Wilson was a third round pick. You were talking about this earlier in the show. He's the third round pick. And there were lots of people saying, well, he'd be a first round pick if he was 6'4, 6'5, but he's not 6'4, 6'5. So we wonder about the size. I don't wonder about Zach Wilson's size, though. I think he's, uh, I think he's plenty big enough. You, you talk about a, pro- a pocket presence with Russell Wilson, and he certainly has that. Oh, yeah. But the thing that I think separates him is his ability to go on the fly. And I was talking with uh, a quarterback coach here recently. I said, uh, you know, I think we talked about it on air. How do you evaluate quarterbacks when they're getting great protection and they drop back and they got the number one option open and the number two option is open? And so basically you just watch him until he gets you know, gets enough uh, distance between him and the DB, and you throw him the ball, he catches it, and he runs in for a score. And we see that. You know, we saw that with Jake Heaps. But then when things got haywire, you know, it wasn't there. And Russell Wilson, when things get haywire, not only is it there, it's there as well, literally, as well as anybody I've ever seen play quarterback. And when he gets in those situations, it's like, and I don't really care who wins these games. I just watch him for the enjoyment. But if I'm a fan of the opponent and Russell Wilson is running around back there and things are breaking down, I think that's when he's at his most dangerous because he can extend it. He can go left, right, back, forward. He, his athleticism is off the charts, and he's got all the necessary things that you need in a quarterback in terms of intelligence and vision and arm strength. And so that's sensational in that way. And as I look at Zach Wilson, I like the comparison a little bit to Johnny Manziel at the college level because at the college level, Johnny Manziel might have been the most exciting quarterback I'd ever seen. Uh, with him being able to do it. Now, none of that transferred to the pros, and he had personal issues that didn't seem, obviously, were inconsistent to what it takes because it takes all sorts of dedication. He didn't, you know, he had the other personal emotional issues and immaturity and stuff. But Zach, you know, you see, see bits and pieces of that, but he's enough to tantalize you to think that, man, there's something really, really there. That's why I'm hoping – I would have preferred that he played this killer schedule this season to really get an idea to see what he can do. That's not going to happen, obviously. But at least stay healthy this year to see what he can do. And uh, 
wondering if he has a really good season. You know, does he want to come back? Because he can actually come back for two years because all these kids get the year back. I don't know that he'd want to do that. But he's a tantalizing prospect, so I can see why folks would like him. DJ and PK at 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Scotty G is going to join us coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. Mountain West Conference football. When are they coming back? What is it going to look like? We'll talk with Scotty G coming up. The question of the day for those of you who look southward and love football. It's coming up next. Stay with us. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. Zero Res has proven in lab tests to remove more dirt and soils than other methods. Their powered water cleaning means no soap, no shampoos, and no toxic chemicals. Schedule your Zero Res cleaning today by calling them at 801-288-9376. Question of the day. The Raiders are six hours away. You find yourself rooting for them now? Monday Night Football? PK, what were you doing rooting for a pro team? This is... This is wrong for you. It'd be right for someone else, but wrong for you. You didn't root for pro teams living in New Jersey. You're within 30 minutes of like, I don't know, nine pro teams in four sports. <laughs> and you didn't root for any of them? And Rutgers was down the street and you didn't root for them? And there are Notre Dame fans all over the New York area and you didn't root for them? Well, what's the point of rooting for anybody now? Just sit back and watch the games and somebody does something great, it's exciting, and that's good enough. Well, that is good enough for me, and that, for whatever reason, that's the way I was wired as a kid. I latched on to individual players, you know, Roger Stallback with the Cowboys, and rooted for him, and then he retired and sort of moved on from them. Uh, I watch Aaron Rodgers, love Aaron Rodgers, love, I've spoken about Russell Wilson many times over, so that's the way I'm wired. But I, you know what I think it is, rather than, for me, rather than use the word root, the word that I would use that I think that would be most accurate, because I rarely get upset or I'm overjoyed based on an outcome of a sporting event. It's just not the way I'm wired, but I enjoy watching them. There's no question about it. I think the word that I'm looking for is follow. Because, you know, I compare it to the Angels in baseball. Now, we have a connection here because of the Bs, and they're the AAA, right? And so I follow the Bs loosely, and I go to B's games, and I've covered a million of them when I was with the paper. I go to them now as just something to do. I think a lot of us do. We've got it taken away this summer, looking forward to next summer. Go to the ballpark, and what I do is I pay a little closer attention to guys that are uh, on the way up and are viewed. A lot of these kids, uh, players who play AAA, they're not viewed as major league guys. They're there to provide the competition. So like this kid Adele who's now up with the Angels. So I follow the Angels because we've got a local connection. And here we have, it's too removed from being a local connection. And what I mean by that is we've already decided, and you have some evidence that you shared from people telling you stuff, that the Raiders clearly are going to market St. George. Yes. 
Yes, they are. That's basically that's a suburb, and you could easily go to a Raider game uh, morning of and be back at a decent enough time to get to go to bed and go to work the next day and and be on a regular schedule. So they'll market them. So that's one removed. Well, we're just one removed from St. George, so we're only two removed from the Raiders. I'm claiming them as a team now because of proximity that I will follow. I'm not wired necessarily to root and get up or down based on wins and losses, but there are teams that I follow far more closely than other teams, and the Raiders are now going to be in that category. Well, for me, they always have been because they, I always follow the AFC West. And so the, the Chiefs, the Broncos, the Raiders, the Chargers, you know, I just kind of know their storylines over time. Uh, to a lesser degree, but I got a lot of family, um, and it turns out I married into a family that had some Niner fans too, and I grew up with Niner fans, so I've always, you know, the NFC West games were on TV, and so I, you know, I know the storylines for those, for those teams as well. You know, the Raiders can be a much bigger deal here if they win. I mean, it's, it's pro sports, you got to win. The Broncos are not as big a deal as they were. They haven't done much winning. I mean, it's, you got a decade and a half now, and you had four glorious years with Peyton Manning. But on both sides of that, there's a lot of eh and some genuinely bad teams. Yeah, but the Broncos are never going to claim us to any degree. So who cares about that? Right, because it's the, the Raiders are going to try to claim parts of our state. So that buys in. It has nothing to do with winning and losing and whatnot. They're openly going to claim parts of us. So I'm going to claim them back. <laughs> Now you got me going on the whole horse races, uh, claiming claiming races. They do do that. Yes, I've known folks who've been You're in that business. Claim them back. Yeah, that that that. There's a difference between the AFC West and the Broncos. I don't give a flying you know what about the Broncos because they don't give a flying you know what about us. Well, well here the Raiders are of, going to claim us. We've had tons of Niner fans here because they won. And for a while, because they had Steve Young. Always because of Steve Young. That's why. It it has nothing to do with anything else but Steve Young. Steve Steve hasn't played. Yeah, it does. It has to do with the winning. Steve hasn't played in the last 20 years. And we have a lot of Californians here. Steve Young was winning. He was winning. So it went hand in hand. But they won before Steve. And they've won again after Steve. Not as big. Haven't won at all. Yeah. People, it people was, attach the, the majority of the reasons why they were into that is because of Steve Young, and uh, Detmer was on the team for a while. And Steve Young is the son in this community, and he was at the top of his game. He was a two-time MVP. Come on, he was a descendant of Brigham himself. It could have been anywhere. It could have been Denver. It could have been Seattle. You name a team, and our people around here would have followed it intently. Tampa Bay. Same, yes, if he would have stayed there and, and blown up, yes. Now it would have been more difficult because of the time difference. Uh, but that was Steve Young. That was the connection. It was the Niners because of Steve Young. And they were a heck of a fun team to watch because Bill Walsh was an innovator. So you had all these things came together at the time. And it was somewhat regionally uh, close to us. That's why. But that thing has come and gone. Dave sends in a uh, <laughs> gift, Michael from the office. Don't you dare. Because uh, we got people here saying they're going to flip from the Broncos to the Raiders. 
Brandon says, I might as well be a Raider fan since my donkeys are garbage. He's got the little trash can symbol there. Denver has made no attempt to claim us. The Raiders are going to claim us, and I'm going to claim them back. I'm going to follow them. I'm going to follow them far more closely than I did before. Yes, and I wouldn't be surprised. There's going to be a time when all of us, every single last one of us listening right now, are going to find ourselves in that stadium watching a game. That is prophecy. We're a community of prophecy, and that's my prophecy. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 in the zone.